When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to an episode, perhaps the last episode, the last song we will be talking about on this series, season one of the podcast, where we have broken down every single song on Misery Made Me, our new album, which is out now on UNFD Records, by the way, pick it up, the final track, Misery. This only made sense to, you know, save the final closing track for last and uh yeah it's been a wild ride though this has been a fun podcast have you guys uh have you guys had a good time with this oh yeah oh oh yeah nice to have something to do a reason to get all together <laughs> thank you for your lies it's nice to reminisce about the record i really kind of dive back into it and and, and relive this experience because it was a pretty pretty overwhelming experience making the record you know it was the most time we had spent together in the whole time. It was stressful. It was exciting. And now it's done. So we get to reflect and be like, yeah, this was a really good good time. Yeah, I feel like there's always so much time between us recording a record and it coming out into the world. Especially this time. Yeah, it's been a, a extra fun to revisit it and uh, kind of refresh some of the memories. And then it feels like, you know, we're a little closer to the, the songs at the same time the people are discovering them. So it's that's, I think, a nice way to connect over it. Totally. I love doing this particular, like the, the podcast has been great. Now, the unexpected benefit for me is that I actually get to think somewhat deeply about the past. It's not a thing I do well, I notice. Like I'm I'm very like forward looking kind of guy. And I'm always thinking about the future. I don't I don't spend a lot of time thinking about the past, especially a recording process that, you know, at this point is a year old. I just I have very fleeting like vignette style memories of like, oh I remember this happening or that happening with past records. But this one it's been nice to go through the entire process more specifically with people who are <laughs> there with you, you know, and really pin it all down. Totally. And this is especially, to back to Josh's point too, it is an especially long time between when we, you know, put these t- songs together and then actually recorded them to when the record came out. That is like the longest we've ever had. Most of it's because of, well, we can blame Adele for the vinyl delays because they love to do that in the music industry. Just throw the biggest artist right under the bus. Sorry she's selling so many fucking records and keeping like the industry literally single-handedly afloat, but whatever. We'll blame her for it. But it really is fun to go back, I think, and do this. And I think my question for you, Paul Mark, on what you just said is, do you think it's of any benefit to kind of like go back and say, oh, this like process worked or this process didn't work? Because maybe that's something you don't really reflect on. You're just always looking forward and you don't really, you know, sometimes it's like, what do they say? You know, history repeats itself. Yeah, man, it's a good question. Like it, it has to in some way help, right? Like even beyond my own mm-hmm. like personal goal of trying to be a little more reflective about you know my even just selfishly like my own experiences. I think 
in this line of work, you guys must know this even better than me, but it's this lifestyle, you know, has, it can get a little blurry, like things move really quick and you go to so many places, you know, most people are like, they remember, oh, I went to a trip to Germany in 1997 and I remember like every little street right. I went down. It's like, I don't remember any of that stuff. Like I said, I just have these vague notions of what my past has been like. And I don't know, I don't feel too bent out of shape about it, but I do wish that I had more clear memories about everything. So I love doing this about an album that means a lot to to me and all of us and just to kind of have more concrete I don't know, memories, I guess. Wow. I mean, yeah, that's that's incredible. And it's so true. What we do is really can be a bit of a whirlwind in our lives. And we are busy people. It's true. A lot of life experience on this podcast for <laughs> for sure. I mean, it's just the fact. It's a fact, you know? Not to give away the, the podcast before you intro it, but there's a line in this song, I measure pain in milligrams. And in a sense... I think I can reshape that metaphor to be like, I, you measure time in tours. Like, I don't hmm. know what happens at what time. I can just tell you that was on that tour. I couldn't tell you, you know, much else about it. But it's weird how we start to categorize things based on these like hyper specific experiences that are not real time. <laughs> I think it's the same way that a lot of people, I hate to say normal people, but people that aren't doing the crazy shit that we do in this band or people do in other bands, you know, you go back and you say, oh yeah, like I did this in the fifth grade or, or this in the, you know, when I was a junior in high school, I did this. And like, that's how we do this our whole lives based on like, it was during this tour or recording this album or whatever. Right. And it's kind of a weird, I guess it's a way you kind of compartmentalize like things into different categories that you can kind of organize but it's always really funny when people are like I saw you guys play and it was like yeah like in 02 and it's like well I know you didn't see us play in 02 because we weren't touring yet in 02 so you probably mean this year and they're like oh no I, I don't think it was no no because it was and I'm like actually I know exactly what day it was because we you know, I know that tour was in 2007, you know, in the summertime. And I remember this venue and I remember like what I had for lunch that day practically. So like, it's really a weird thing that we're able to kind of do with, you know, remembering back like, like our, our own lives, you know, but then take it outside the tour and try to remember like something between that tour and the one you did after. And it's like, I don't know. I'm not even good with the years. People ask me sometimes, like, what was your first tour with Silverstein? It's like, well, I was working, but like, it was kind of like a charity job. And like, I don't know what year it was, but I know it was Chiodos co-headliner. You know, like, that's what I remember. Right. So if anyone knows what year that was, I could tell you that's what I was doing. But I don't know what year it was. 07? Was that 07? 2008. 2008. 2008. There you go. Okay. So for everyone that's going to ask me this in the future, it was 2008. What day did it start? No idea. In the fall sometime. And what did we do before that? Some other tour and after that, another tour. Yeah, totally. I remember it pretty well, especially the early days. That's weird how your brain works like that. Like, I, I don't know why I can remember 2004 so much better than I can remember 2014, but I can so I don't, I don't know what why that happens. Well, I, I think also with the touring thing too, it's like, yeah, you probably remember like the first time we went to Australia. You probably remember every single show right. where we slept, you know, all the meals we ate. But the eight times since then, it's like, which one was which? Which time yeah. did we play two, two nights in that city? Which time did we play? Like, I have no idea, right? Like, yeah. I can probably 
timestamp the year, but yeah, it's, it's tough. It's usually the first experience like that. And then it just blurs like blurry. I think is the best word to describe this. Um, especially cause you are always like thinking about the next 10 things while trying to accomplish the one in front of you, like making an album, playing a show tonight, but thinking of all the stuff after that, that's about to come. I, I think yeah. that that is actually a scientifically proven. There are theories around it in, in children. They're having all these experiences for the first time and their brains are capturing more information, almost like you can think of it as a higher frame rate of a camera taking so many more pictures. Uh, But then as you age and you have more experiences and it seems like, you know, time flies by, years blur into each other, uh, you've had those experiences over and over again and your brain is not capturing as much information. It's that slower frame rate. So the the time in between those those moments being captured by your brain is greater. Less information is stored, and it, it you just have less to draw from as you try and recall it. Great, thanks, Josh. Something to look forward to. I'm gonna be like 55 <laughs> and be like, "What year is it?" I'm like not gonna know anything. We just got to keep having new experiences and trying, you know, different. We should things. do a podcast about every day of our lives. What did you guys have for lunch? <laughs> It's the only way to remember. It's the only way to remember. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> and, God, and today wow, we got depressing. And today yeah. we are remembering something special. A yes. song that we made. We are. It's called Misery. It is the closing track of this record and mostly a me joint. Something that I came up with messing around with an acoustic guitar right here in this seat I'm in. And I don't know if you guys knew this, but I actually wrote a lot of this song on Twitch with some fans. I did not know. Yeah, there was some fan love and some fan interaction, especially with the lyrics. There were some, some lines that, you know, we kind of worked on together, which was cool. And I know you had that experience, Paul Mark, with, with writing another song on Twitch. It was pretty fun. It was pretty cool. It's very cool, man. I didn't know you did that. Yeah, but that was a really worthwhile experience for me. And I hope everyone that participated enjoyed it. But I didn't know that this was one of those. That's, that's sick. It's hard to remember, you know, like we just got into exactly, you know, where I was at with the song, if I had like the title yet, how much of the melody was done, if the structure was there or or what exactly I had. Maybe I have a Twitch stream recorded I could watch, but I'm not sure if I do. But yeah, it's it's um, it was really just a cool experience to just be like, okay, this is what we're going to kind of try to write about. And then how are we going to shape this? What is the lines we're going to pick? And how is that going to dictate just the journey that the lyrics are going to take? And it's also really funny to see like one person will suggest one thing that's just completely out of left field compared to another thing, you know, and you can, it, it was, it was quite a, quite an interesting experience just to kind of try to try to compile and then, of course, you know, use the things that I think are are strong, and and put them together into uh, into you know some decent lyrics that are also, you know, something I can make my own as well. You know, that's really interesting. When I did it, we had like a basic topic, and I was getting yeah all sorts of disparate lines. But the neatest part of that for me was how differently people could approach the same thing. Like a line that felt you know, perfectly uh, suited to the lines we already had for one person was so different from another, like another person, like how they interpreted their, you know, if we're looking for one line, we already have three. It's like, it should be a fairly easy fill in the blanks or paint by numbers kind of thing. But the different responses were so wild. Were you dealing Mm -hmm. with anything like that? hundred percent. It's almost like when you 
are writing a test in high school and there's like the one answer that you're like, wait, what? And you're like, that's just, is that a joke or something? Like, and then you're like, wait a second. Maybe that is the answer. It did kind of throw you off sometimes when you're like, wait a second, like metal guy, 1412, maybe explain why you want that lyric to be that lyric and why that's cool to you. And maybe you, maybe you're onto something, you know, or maybe you're trolling me. I don't, I don't know. Right. But the origin of the song is kind of interesting. So I was talking about how a lot of the writing I like to do is I like to kind of find a double meaning and I don't exactly know how I or we came upon the word misery, but it seemed like it was a great way to kind of sum up what we were all going through at that time, you know, in COVID. And I said, well, what other things are like using that word? And someone came up with, or I came up with the movie with James Caan and Kathy Bates, where James Caan is this writer and he gets stranded. He gets in a car accident in the in the winter and he gets stranded and this um, fan picks him up and brings him brings him back to her house and basically won't let him leave. Holds him there and, and there's that very iconic scene where she breaks his legs with the sledgehammer. It's probably the, the most, one of the most iconic, I mean, it's an iconic movie history moment. So um, I thought, it was like, okay, what, what can we do? Can we... Can we use these this imagery or these these analogies that are that are in this movie alongside you know our, telling our own story, and that's where a lot of the the especially the first verse, a lot of the stuff you know came from. Is that where the car? That is part of where the car reference came from. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, in that car, the original lyric which you'll hear in the demos in that car, but I didn't get very far, which I remember you guys thought it was a little bit of a hokey lyric and. I can see that. And I think the turn the key, but it didn't start, which Paul Mark uh, suggested, I think is a better, is a better lyric. But yeah, maybe but, less to do with the movie, but yeah, it felt a little <laughs> nursery rhyming to me. Maybe had I known that it was referencing the movie, I would have felt slightly differently, but I do well, like the I, lyric we landed on. I mean, a part of it was like, okay, songwriting takes a journey, you know, it always does. And we've, we've talked on a couple of the other episodes about how sometimes that first verse or that first line of a song sort of me like the song starts to meander away from that and can take its own shape and sometimes things don't get changed later or they shouldn't get changed later but this one was interesting because all the analogies that w worked they did work together to tell a pretty concrete I think emotional and that's the most important thing an emotional and relatable story within within the lyrics yeah, I think that's like the thing you're so good at as a writer is uh, kind of like building a universe that you can, as a listener, drop yourself into. It's right. like you've you've done that your whole career. And this song is, you know, you at your best, I think. Uh, like even I don't know, the first time I heard the demo, like I was I was right in that situation, you know, like I was whatever that meant to me. But it, it felt mm -hmm. very clear, you know, I could I could be in this universe of like a car like in at, sort of like at night with like fogged up windows because I've been like sitting in it like arguing with somebody or whatever. Right. Um, and that's how I, you know, interpreted it and took it. But it was very like uh, visually gripping to me. Like I felt like I was there. Well, one of the things very early COVID, you know, like I'm talking right when we realized this thing wouldn't be like two weeks was one of the only things I could do was go in my car and go for a drive. You know, because everything was closed and that was, 
I've always liked driving. So I found that sort of therapeutic. And there was kind of this idea of getting in the car and sort of like leaving that misery behind me, like if it's in my house or wherever it is. And that was kind of a, I felt like a strong point personally that was sort of important, at least at the time. And I'm sure I wasn't alone in that, you know, but there's this also this idea that that the misery is is like your passenger, right? That you're carrying with you, you know, through all this, you know, and it's almost like I am speaking to that, you know, that's another, another little, you know, take on it. For sure. That's what, that's the only thing that separates this song and um, that Queen song that's like where he's in love with his car. Oh man, I can't believe that song exists. I love that they made fun of it in the Queen movie. I know that's not everybody liked the Bohemian Rhapsody movie. I I enjoyed it maybe for what it was. I know that its historical accuracy has been questioned, but I do like that they at least called out Roger for that fucking song. It's, God damn. It's just you have the best singer and you got to let Roger Taylor sing a song about a car. I just don't <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, on the same to, record, on the same record, it's, it's track just, two, I think, it, it's or a, maybe it's track two or three. three. Yeah, it's death on two legs. There's a Brian May song in there too. Sixty nine is that what it's called? Fifty nine. It's a pretty good song though. Anyway, it's Queen, not a Queen I mean, podcast. It's not, but I will say this about Queen really quickly. Obviously, they're one of the greatest rock bands of all time. They are not. They do not have a perfect record by any stretch of the imagination. They have terrible songs on all their records. They really it's, do. They're very interesting in that they can write some of the greatest songs ever and some of the worst songs ever simultaneously. Yeah, they really did go there sometimes. And I love Queen, but this is a. We had this debate a lot on tour, like, or you know, you're waiting for a flight, or you got 20 minutes to kill. We talk about stupid shit like this, but. Um, Billy and I got in this really big argument about like bands that had that were album bands or greatest hits bands mm-hmm. where it's like some bands, yeah. you know, they sure they probably have a good greatest hits, but they have one album that's really like, that's a perfect album. And Queen is the ultimate greatest hits band. All their records suck, but the greatest hits is maybe the best, maybe the best album of all time period <laughs> is like the maroon Queen greatest hits, but every record sucks. You're absolutely right. You're a, sorry, and somebody like to, to think of another band from sort of that era, like someone like Black Sabbath, hundred percent an album band. The, their first four albums were like pretty much all awesome, and you know, and like sure you could pull out a couple songs here and there, but like definitely an album band. So yeah, that's that's a really interesting conversation. I don't think I was I had that one with you guys because I would definitely love to think about that more. Maybe it'll be an offshoot podcast. We'll, we'll do Maybe. it. Maybe it would be cool. But back to back to the song. Maybe we'll play a demo. So the the initial demo that I that I came up with here, this is post Twitch, so the lyrics are mostly intact, but the direction of the song, especially from a production standpoint, is quite a bit different. And you'll see what I mean. Uh, here it is. We're gonna play the demo here. Misery one point one. I named the demo. Here it is. When you I can see what I used to be in that car, but I didn't get very far. I lost a piece of myself 
Trapped inside this living hell I can't escape destiny My misery loves company And if I fall apart Sword and scarred Can I find myself And if I can't restart Light the dark Will this ever heal no, I won't be, and I won't feel alone anymore, and I won't let the sea swallow me. I can find my peace in misery. When you leave, okay, these are the I same words. See what I used to be. Didn't get very far I lost a piece of myself Trapped inside this living hell I can't escape destiny My misery loves company And if I fall apart Sword and scarred Can I find myself and if I can't restart, light the dark, will this ever heal? No, I won't be, and I won't feel alone anymore. And I won't let the sea swallow me. I can find my peace in misery. Start light the dark. Will this ever heal? No, I won't be, and I won't feel alone anymore. And I won't let the sea swallow me. I can find my peace in misery. There it is. Yes. Cuts off very abruptly. I like that. <laughs> like a demo should. I love that chord just obviously punched in at the end too. It's really funny. But um Yeah, I mean I mean it really was started out kind of this as this like campfire sort of strummy acoustic song, which it didn't become. It became like way more sophisticated, I think, with if that's a good word for it. You know, where we put finger picking in some more interesting chord um, shapes and obviously a lot of extra ambient like production and stuff. 
but but the the emotion was there on the demo right i think that's what struck me it was like this song is like obviously important and and should and has to be on the record and Mm -hmm. whether it's that production or the production we had in, in the end it's it's uh, really struck me uh, to begin with. It felt it felt really unique. It felt like like Paul Mark said, like you you at your absolute best of like creating this almost like kind of dreamscape kind of um, emotional yeah. context. Like you definitely you plant yourself in it. And I think with the music, especially in the demo, being more simple, there's less layers and stuff like that. You get more lost in the lyrics opposed to being caught up in, in the production. And, and I thought it was cool too to to really like tackle. Uh, an acoustic forward song because we've never actually put out uh, on a record like an acoustic quote unquote song and i think this was like the perfect one to really take that leap with yeah man that's interesting the dreamscape thing is is cool i take that as a compliment for sure that concept of it being a dreamscape i almost feel like that works better with the production we kind of settled on of course yeah it, it definitely gets there yeah yeah to have it be that kind of like that those the whooshing in the background and you know a lot of the different sort of elements that are like well I don't know that it, what instrument that is it's just a sound in the background so so that that is interesting but it is kind of funny I heard, haven't listened to that demo like since probably since I made it you know so it's kind of funny to hear that to hear that now just that it was quite a bit different the vibe that it kind of took on yeah I do really like where we took it I think just hearing that demo and the performance even in your demo has this um, kind of restrained breathiness about it. Like it's not like a full on chest voice. You're not belting really at, it, at any point yeah. except for maybe in the chorus section there. And I think that called to mind for, I'll shout, shout him out because he's not here today, Billy. But uh, Billy and I especially were obsessed with this Sufjan Stevens album, Carrie and Lowell, where he has a lot of vocal takes like that. And a lot of the guitar is just like, sort of like almost harp-like finger picking that, it's so mm-hmm. easy to get lost in it. Like it's harder to find one and the rhythm is less obvious, but I think it really makes you focus on the story. Cause he's a great storyteller as well. It's so, so good. Uh, and this song really had elements of that. And I think to me, like took it to another level. Like I think it's the best acoustic song we've ever done. And it's like, it brought a performance out of you that just feels, I think exaggerates that dreamy quality and the, that sort of built mm-hmm. universe that you've constructed. And as you say, all the wooshy production stuff, sure, it does add to it. But even just this kind of this forward moving finger pick style that doesn't give you these hard, you know, strums, this hard, like, I know this is beat one. Like, I don't know, is is very interesting. Yeah, it is. And it was a challenge for me, too. I can't really finger pick very well at all. That's like one of my, the worst things that I am at guitar. Like, I can play rhythm guitar and I play acoustic guitar strummy like fairly I think fairly decently but finger picking oh my god it was it was a challenge for me for sure but I do love that we were able to do that because again you know 10 albums in we never did a song with finger picking like that before I don't think we ever have so I don't remember one so you know it's it's a cool thing to try and I think it contrasts the rest of the record too um which, which has a lot of more everything as we coined it yeah. and and this you know this song easily could have had you know, a whole orchestra and percussion and, and other stuff, but it's almost like we've mute, we muted that. We kept that away and let the song just be the song without, you know, and, and I think at the end of a record, especially where you've been through this journey of all these other songs with a lot of peaks and valleys, but also a lot of intensity, both emotionally and just musically that it's great to kind of end off 
the record with a song like this that mm-hmm. is a little bit more bare bones, but every sound that's in there, and this is obviously a big part of the production, was so intentional and was so debated, right? Like every little sound, and even in the mix, it's like, how should that even be audible or just felt right. in the mix? And, and it was almost agonizing, but so, uh, but, but it paid off in the end because the, the end result is, I think, something we're all really proud of. For sure. It's kind of interesting to know. I, I think that the key of this demo is actually a semitone higher than the record too. And the only reason, I don't think it had to do with like where my voice necessarily sounds better. It was because we wanted it to come out of Live Like This. And we, we'd already recorded Live Like This, so we weren't going to change <laughs> the key of it. So we were like, oh, we want to do this kind of transition piece into the song uh, because there wasn't really an intro for this either, this song. I mean, we could have made one, I guess, but we we thought this was kind of a cool idea. So then um, we moved it moved it down the capo down to the third fret or whatever it was on the guitar, and then that that's how that happened. But um, see, you you get the real shit here. We don't lie. But we should say that transition piece. Someone asked about this on the Reddit AMA. Is the only reason I'm going to clarify okay. it. Okay. It, but it, I did answer it there too. I think, or maybe a few of us did. We did want those two songs to go into each other but what you are recording like the way you're hearing it on the album that isn't scripted right like the idea was you were going to play that part but it's super out of tune as you like to bring up and it is so out of tune but like that's like cool shit that was real about it well i was trying to figure out a bunch of stuff in the song like like the different finger picking notes and what the chords were and like you know, okay, am I going to play, you know, an F, like an F9 chord here, or am I going to play F major here? Like, you know, these like little, little things that, I mean, maybe in, at the end, you don't notice much difference, but we agonize and we pour over this shit, you know, like, okay, am I putting the G in the F chord or not? Am I, am I putting A in there? What are we doing? You know, and those, those kinds of things are, are, are important, but that was literally me messing around. I'm like, uh, I don't think I remember it. <laughs> I, I definitely we, didn't remember it. <laughs> I think we got like five minutes of you or more. I don't know. It was some, we just like hit record and as you were figuring it out, I don't even know if you know right. if you knew we were recording you because you were just in a room with a mic on, which is why it has that sound. Yeah, this is what happened. I was messing around with it and I didn't know you were recording me. And then Sam said something to me and I didn't really hear him. And I was like, uh, the guitar? And then I think some time went on and I think it was cut up a little bit. But I think then I said later on, I was like, uh, I don't know if I remember it. And I think that that's like those were two different sections that sort of got like a little bit pushed together, you know. Yeah, we did a bit of movie magic. We did a bit of movie magic. But of course, like we're going to have a five minute clip at the end of Live Like This, you know. Um, so yeah, but that's, that's how that happened, you know? And yeah. Yeah. This isn't the nineties. Vinyl ain't free. If it was going on to just a CD, (laughs) maybe we could do that, but (laughs) that's true. That's funny. Yeah. I think that peek behind the curtain of that really unpolished, genuine moment, the guitar is out of tune. It's not close mic'd and you're like just thinking through some things I, I think is a really neat way to usher in this really intimate song that you know certainly the demo that we just shared has a a more like open rawness to it as it is just strummed acoustic guitar and vocals but when we change it into finger picking that gives it this intimacy 
it's uh, such like a, a pretty little thing happening. And I, I think I, I really appreciate that, you know, as we have done many acoustic re-records of different songs and generally they are very bare bones. I, I like that we found a way to keep the, the intimacy to this one while still expanding on it and like padding it with all these uh, kind of background soundscapes that as Paul Kohler mentioned are not supposed to be, heard so much as felt and just kind of give a, a a sound bed to have the the song sit on top of totally and we didn't resort just resort to like distorted rhythm guitars and a p bass and drum kit you know which we've done before okay end of the song like as paul mark likes to say you know pulling the same rabbit out of the hat you know um at the end of the song which i'm sure would have worked i although albeit i'd say less in this song probably would not have worked as well but, you know, it's it's all about, like, like, really, at this point in our career, like, we're pushing ourselves to try to think outside the box, to try to do things we haven't done before. It isn't easy by any means, and there is times when you have to give yourself a little bit of motivation to not just do the automatic thing, you know, um, and that can be a challenge, but I think w- with this whole record, you know, and, and since this is the last episode of this, you know, podcast i think it's important to note that on this record we continued to do that we continue to say okay we know what we can do we've done it nine fucking times and it's been fine and we've done good like good work but we're trying to make our best album here so what can we do to really you know get us to that next level of creativity of what the song needs and 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 just to make the this song and this album the best we can you know yeah, I think it speaks to the quality of the song too that we didn't need to rely on the crescendo build for a big payoff. It's almost like, like again, I, I said, like you're you're in this record of, of intensity, and you get to close your eyes for the last few minutes and and listen to misery, and then start it all over again. You know, because that's life, right? Like you just you repeat, you <laughs> jump back into it. But I, I think it was well executed. Life is repeating the misery. <laughs> there we go. Dark shit, man. Dark shit. All right, cool. Um, acapella time? Do it up. Okay, we got a long long acapella, but here it is. Misery. Probably not a lot of backups on this one. I don't know. I forget. Here we go. When you leave, I can see what I used to be. In your car Turn the key but it wouldn't start I lost a piece of myself Trapped inside this living hell I can't escape destiny My misery loves company And if I fall apart, torn and scarred, can I find myself? And if I can't restart, light the dark, will this ever heal? No, I won't be, and I won't feel alone anymore. And I won't let the sea swallow me I can find my peace and misery Wide awake I still dream in a vivid shade 
crimson eyes And a face that glows pale white It cost me years I never had I measure pain in milligrams I pushed away the sympathy My misery can't cope with me and if I fall apart, torn and scarred, can I find myself? And if I can't restart, light the dark, will this ever heal? No, I won't be, and I won't feel alone anymore. And I won't let the sea swallow me. I can find my peace and misery I've climbed the tallest mountain I still can't see I've pushed the greatest boulder It's rolling back on me A question with no answer But you sold the lies to me I guess that acoustic vocal's not in there It's probably recorded separate on one track With the acoustic guitar So Because I think I did that one actually live Definitely No I won't be oh. <laughs> And I won't feel The breeze scatter me. I can find my peace and misery. I can find my peace and misery. I can find my peace and misery. I don't know what that little yelly vocal thing was at the end. I don't remember doing that. I don't either. It sounded roomy. You recorded the yeah the distant guitar thing. It was yeah it was one mic in the the little hallway where the the room drum mic was, right? Yeah, totally. No, at the very end of the song, there was some like weird kind of yelling background thing. I don't remember what that was, or if it was a weird Sam thing. It sounded like the like I try to find the truth by oh, the maybe. truth. Sorry, by the truth. It's really cool. Earlier, we were talking about how you know we could have just built the regular crescendo, as you say, I say, <laughs> pull the same rabbit out of the hat. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did, you know, you still build the crescendo into it. We just did it with different things. And I remember specifically that, like, what is the hook of the song? The like, true, right. and like the first time that happens, we're like, we got to keep this one in the lower octave. Yeah, like, we have to because it's going to make the payoff of the second one so much better. And it was tough because it is like, it is the you know most impactful performance section of the song. Yep. But we were like, man, we just like if people are this far in the album, they will wait, and it was going to be so much better. And yep. I'm really glad we did it because it's very cool to say. Absolutely, time. absolutely, man. I, I totally agree. And uh, yeah, what a way to uh, end the record. What a way to end this uh, podcast season.
I do have one more thing to say about this song because I we talk a lot about sequencing and I'm generally the last guy that wants to talk about sequencing. But I do think in this case, I mean, it's the obvious ender for many reasons, but listening to the album in full, it does kind of feel like this is an opportunity for your soul to re-enter your body. Do you know what I mean? Like you, we spend all of this time fretting over things and being angry about things and reliving, you know, emotional trauma and this song is that, I don't know if it's an inhale or an exhale, but it's a breath. Maybe it's both. It's a moment of pause, I think, in a good way, as you say, before you hit repeat to kind of reset your whole fucking life. Damn. Yeah, well put, man. Well put. I love that. I love that. And yet, I know there is a certain element of like, oh, this they put the quiet song at the end of the record. It's like a cliche thing to do. But I do think that this record really needed it. You know, I think it really did need it. Yeah, you, you couldn't have put that in the middle because you're still living all this madness and, and you're caught up in it, right? Well, we could have and we would have defended it. We would have been <laughs> like, oh, it's a great track six because then you reset for the B-side sure. or whatever shit we like to say. And that would have been fine and we could stand behind that decision, but it's not as good as this. It's not as good as putting it at the no. end and and having it feel like a coda, you know, to, to yeah. everything. Uh, absolutely. I just and I also just love that the last word is misery. You know, like that sums up the record, the title. It works really works. So proud of this album and really want to thank everybody who has been here. We encourage you all to go back and listen to all of these episodes and and we really do a quite a big deep dive into all these songs. You're going to learn something. So if you've missed any of the episodes, go back and listen and most importantly, hit that follow button subscribe button because one day we might do some more episodes deluxe episodes bonus episodes whatever you want about misery made me we, we might have some mailbag or some questions for some people coming up soon and down the road we maybe we'll talk about some other albums some other music and some other things as well so the podcast is here to stay silverstein the podcast so make sure you're subscribed and uh, tell a friend tell a loved one that we're doing this because it's been a lot of fun for us. Yeah, you got to subscribe or else how are you going to know when we launch a new series where we explain this is how the wind shifts or hire voice actors to do a shipwreck in the sand? You're going to want to know that those are two ideas I just had right now. And those I'm not even trying. So like, imagine what if we actually all five of us thought about it? Like get some real piratey people to do shipwreck in the sand. It'd be very entertaining. <laughs> Well, I don't think, you know, that's what the record's <laughs> called. But unless I'm really misreading it, I don't think the album's about pirates at all. Oh, you're so wrong. <laughs> oh, it's there's, there's a it's big about piracy thing. There's a reason it's called the album. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Big pirate vibes. Ailstorm would be proud. The most piratey song we have, and this is, I don't even think up for debate, is Heaven, Hell, or Purgatory. That song is pirate rock. Really? Why? <laughs> Not lyrically, but musically, it sounds like it was written by pirates. Yeah, come on. Yeah, yeah, you can really sway a a mug back and forth to that one. Yeah, yo ho, yo ho. Yeah, a mug of grog. Yes, I love that. Let us know which of our songs you think is the most piratey. Email us at at mailbag.silverstein.ca or whatever. <laughs> we will let you know how to get in touch for podcast related things 
and we're going to do some some other stuff, I'm sure, involving you guys, the fans, because uh, I know so many people have really enjoyed this series, and we have too. So finally, just thank you very much for uh, for all the love, all the support. Keep in mind, we're going to be going on tour with the Amity Affliction and Holding Absence and Unity Texas. Is it Unity Texas or Unity TX? I think it's TX, but it's Texas, right? It's Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Well, there used to be that band Phoenix TX, you know? Yep. And they were it's because they were from Texas. Yeah, they're, they're from Texas. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah. And we're playing Texas. Yeah. It'll be great. We are. We are playing Texas. We're playing a lot of states and uh, even Canada. So uh, look up those dates at silversteammusic.com and get them because by the time you're listening to this, those tickets are going to be almost diminished. So you need to uh, to go get those tickets while you can. We'll see you there. We'll see you there. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate it, yeah. When you leave, I can see what I used to be In your car, turn the key but it wouldn't start I lost a piece of myself Trapped inside this living hell I can't escape destiny My misery loves company And if I fall apart, torn and scarred Can I find myself? And if I can't restart, light the dark Will this ever heal? No, I won't be and I won't feel anymore And I won't let the sea swallow me I can find my peace and misery Wide awake, I still dream in a vivid shade Crimson eyes and a face that glows pale white It cost me years I never had I measure pain in milligrams I pushed away the sympathy My misery can't cope with me And if I fall apart, torn and scarred Start light the dark